Christ, you know? I could have listened to that all day. All right. Well, Mark chapter number six, if you would take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter number six is where we're going to be. Lord willing, we're going to finish chapter six. It's uh, one of the longest chapters in the gospel of Mark. And so we're coming to an end of that uh, today. Mark chapter number six. And uh, as you're turning there, if you're able to physically stand, if you would join me for a standing of the reading of God's word as we uh, show respect and reverence to the Holy Word of God, uh, recognizing that it is indeed the Word of God. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse 45, and we're going to read down through verse number 50, and uh, we'll cover the rest of the verses in the message. But verse 45 says this, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship, and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea." And would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you for the wonderful service thus far, for the wonderful music, the ability to sing praises unto you. Uh, together is a, is a special privilege. It's, it's a wonderful aspect of being in church together. But Lord, now as we turn our attention to you and to your word, and uh, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to have open ears and a willingness in our hearts to apply these truths to our lives. And I pray that you would be pleased with our response to your word today. I pray you'd uh, hide me behind the cross pray, Lord, they would not be focused on the messenger, but more focused on the message. And I would pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this past week here in Oklahoma has been uh, eventful, to say the least, when it came to weather. Uh, Last Sunday, for example, uh, we actually even moved our evening service an hour earlier due to the forecasted storms that would come through. And praise the Lord, uh, nothing really happened, although our family did make our way into the storm shelter, and uh, that's a story for another time. But uh, we did end up in there. Uh, By the time I finally got into the storm shelter and kind of got hunkered down, then the sirens here and more began to fade. And it was like, oh, well, let's get out. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that kind of was a little crazy, and then, then we kind of made it through that, and then Tuesday night, more severe weather, uh, and it's like, again? Uh, this is October, Oklahoma, not May, uh, and so Tuesday night and into Wednesday early morning, uh, we had more severe storms, and we thought, well, we're, we're over it, at least I did, uh, but that wasn't quite enough because we did actually have another set of storms that came over on Thursday night that actually did create some damage due to the strong winds that came into the, with that storm. So 
three kind of big, severe storm systems that came through Oklahoma all in one week. Uh, it was a little bit eventful. So I don't know about you, but I am all stormed out. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to storm out this morning. Uh, it just means that I'm over storms, at least for a while. Uh, well, the, the, the truth of the matter is, this morning we come to yet another storm um, that uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, a storm at sea, where Jesus once again performs yet another miracle. And so the title of the message today is Another Miracle at Sea. And uh, in this particular miracle, uh, miracles really that are all wrapped up into this particular passage, uh, they teach us lessons that uh, we can certainly apply apply to our lives, and they apply to the disciples' lives, yes, but uh, they also apply here in 2021 here at Cornerstone Baptist Church with those of us sitting here today. Now, before we really get in, dive into the miracle, I, I think it'd be helpful for us to go back and recall what led to the miracle that took place here on the sea. Now, last time, two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, as we were last time in the book of Mark, we saw Jesus and his apostles get into a boat after a very busy season of ministry. And uh, they went to go head to the desert for a time of R&R, a little rest and relaxation after a busy time. And we talked about how um, those in the ministry do need some times of rest. And, and, and certainly everybody needs times of rest, but what God's servants do, and, and we, we learned that as we looked at these apostles and and how they needed this time of rest. And Jesus recognized that, so he said, let's go uh, over to the desert and let's come apart before we come apart. And so he uh, took them over and, and uh, to the desert place. Well, once they got to their destination, they were met with a lot of people, multitudes, who wanted to hear what Jesus had to say and, and see what Jesus was going to do. And uh, so, unfortunately, there was no rest for the weary there. And uh, Jesus began to meet their most important needs, their spiritual needs, first by teaching them many things. Um, then as the sun was starting to go down, the Lord, and uh, I'm skipping a lot of details here. You'll have to go back and listen to that message if you don't, if you don't remember those details. But the Lord, Lord Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 men plus women and children with the contents of a little boy's lunch. With only five barley loaves and two fish. The Bible records how that each ate until they were full. I mean, that was not enough to fill one person, and yet the Lord was able to miraculously multiply all of that uh, to feed everybody to the point that they were all full. Well, that uh, definitely an amazing miracle. And that brings us to our passage today as we look at another miracle at sea, because verse 44 if you look here in Mark 6, it says, And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And then verse 45, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. So, uh, let's look at this, this other miracle, this another miracle at sea. Number one, let's look at the abruptness of the situation. Now, here in verse 45, They that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And so that... that that's the end of that miracle. And then here we go in verse number 45. Mark just says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. Like immediately. It was pretty abrupt. Um, why, why so abrupt? 
Mark, why, why, why would you say that? Why would, why would it need to be immediately he constrained his disciples, he impressed his disciples to get into the ship and, and uh, to get away? Well, to really answer this question, we actually need to go to John chapter number 6. Because John recorded what took place between verse 44 and verse 45. Uh, John records a little bit extra detail that Mark does not record. And so let's look over at John chapter 6 very quickly uh, and take a little, uh, little field trip over to John chapter number 6. We'll be back in Mark 6 in a moment. But John chapter 6 records how, yes, Jesus fed the 5,000, but what happened right after that? In verse number uh, 13, it says this, Therefore they gathered them together and filled. This is the end of the miracle there. They filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, verse 14 says, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And then notice verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So verse 15 uh, tells us why Mark records back in Mark chapter 6. And if you want to flip back over there. Uh between verse 44 and verse 45, that Jesus straightway, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. So what happened was, as he performs this miracle, everybody was blown away and so impressed, they said, let's make him a king. And Jesus felt as though that they were going to take him by force. Now, obviously, they weren't going to be allowed to do that. Uh, but he, instead of creating a big scene, said, let's just... Uh, get out of Dodge. And so he, uh, he says, let's get into a ship, let's go to the other side, and let's continue our ministry there. Now, here's the deal. It, while it was a good thing that these people wanted to make him king, uh, and, and one day Jesus indeed will be made king, it was just not the right time for that to happen at that particular point. You see, Jesus knew that he came into this world to die first as a substitute for sinners on the cross. This was the Father's will for him, and nothing would stand in his way. He wasn't going uh, to take a shortcut to the throne uh, right then and there. He said, no, 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 we're going to continue the ministry that God has called me to do. He would not ascend the throne until first he had ascended the altar of sacrifice, the cross. He first must suffer, bleed, and die before he ever would be exalted. One theologian pointed out that Jesus always fled when the people wanted to make him king. But when they wanted to crucify him, he presented himself. A pretty remarkable observation. Uh, when Jesus was, hey, you, you need to be our king. You need to come and save us from Rome and, and, and from Roman oppression. Jesus said, no, no, no. That's not why I'm here. I'm here first and foremost to fulfill my Father's will, which is to become the sacrifice for your sin and for uh, the sins of mankind. And so with that in mind, verse number 45, Jesus says, It's not time for me to be king. So straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. And so he, he makes an escape. He, he leaves. 
And so we see the abruptness of the situation there, and that kind of explains why this big change that took place. I mean, wouldn't you want to kind of enjoy the time there and, and, and enjoy the victory moment? Well, uh, the reason that he bailed is because uh, they wanted to force him to become king, and it was not time. But we see here first the, uh, the abruptness of the situation. But number two here, as we continue on down through this miracle, we're going to see the attributes of the Savior. Verse number 45, he sends his disciples into a ship. But verse 46 says, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And uh, we see first here on the attributes of the Savior, I mean, this particular, and we're going to just kind of scratch the surface on some of these attributes. Uh, but we see, first of all, his priority. Uh, despite being drained and completely tired after a long day of ministry and serving, Jesus is moved to spend a significant time in prayer as he is pressed to become king, dealing with the growing enthusiasm of the multitudes and his disciples who are a little slow to pick up spiritual truth. And how does he deal with all that we, he, he had going on with him at that point? He decides that he's going to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, if Jesus needed to pray for what he was going through, Christian brother, Christian sister, how much more do we need to pray for what we are going through? The Bible says here in verse 46, when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when the even was come, he, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. So there was a significant time that he spent in prayer for what he was going through. Philippians chapter number four and verse six. We're encouraged by the Apostle Paul to be careful for nothing. To, care, to be anxious, to be worried for nothing. The problem is we do carry around a lot of worries and anxiety and cares in this life. The Lord doesn't intend us to do that. He intends us to give it to him. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look, we want the peace of God in our heart. But that doesn't come until we let a request be made known to the Lord. And so here's the encouragement. Take our cares and turn them into prayers. The thing is, is we take our cares and carry them around. We carry our cares, but we're to leave our cares with the Lord. We're to be careful for nothing. Well, I'm just worried about this. I'm just worried about that. That should not be in the vocabulary of a Christian. I realize that all of us do say that. I even say that. <laughs> well, I'm not too worried about this, or I am worried about that. We shouldn't be. Um, and the Lord had some tremendous pressure that he was under and, and dealing with, and dealing with the different types of people that were uh, in now his sphere of influence. People, some who were growing in their enthusiasm, some who were showing some positive strides in their relationship with him. And then there was others who were going the opposite direction. And as I was thinking about that this last couple of weeks, as I've been studying for that, I thought, you know, that is, I find myself there too at times. Because 
There's some here at Cornerstone who are showing some increased enthusiasm for the Lord and for uh, the things of God. And then there's others who are kind of not going the right direction. And this particular aspect has spoken to me. Uh, hey, I need to take my cares. If Jesus took his cares, uh, the, the, the pressures that he was dealing with, how much more should I as the pastor uh, who absolutely, who's not God in human flesh, uh, I need to go to the Lord in prayer. So this was an encouragement to me, and I hope it is to you as well. He made it a priority. Do we make communion with our Father a priority in our lives? If he was willing to do that, certainly I should too. So we see his priority, but then notice, secondly, his perception. Well, let's keep reading here. Verse 46, he goes to pray. Verse 47, when the even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. Verse 48 says this, these four words here that start the verse, and he saw them. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. So here's the disciples in a ship. They're rowing, and the Bible says they're toiling in their rowing because there's a storm that comes again, more wind, and uh, that's all these disciples need is more wind. That's all we need here in Oklahoma, more wind. Like, enough with the wind already, Oklahoma. I guess it's in our state song, so when the winds come sweeping down the plains. Thank you. Appreciate that. I knew I didn't need to put that in my notes. I knew I would have some help at that point. Okay. Um, but here's the disciples rowing against the wind. And uh, that's, it's always easy to row with the wind. <laughs> it's hard to row against the wind. And that's what they were doing. And, uh, and yet, I love the fact that the Bible says this, and he saw them. Now, he wasn't in the boat with them. He was on the land, and they were on the ship. And this was, they, they were far away from Jesus, and yet he saw them. He saw them despite the darkness. By the way, it was dark. The Bible says in uh, verse 48, it was about the fourth watch of the night, which, by the way, is from about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., uh, the darkest part of the night. And that's when Jesus saw them. So he saw them despite the darkness. He also saw them despite the distance. He was on land and they were out at sea. And that goes to show us that there's not a place or a time of day that God does not see us. Psalm 139, the psalmist said this, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, well, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the, light even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light, they're both alike to thee. God can see just as clearly at noon as he can at midnight. And uh, here Jesus, even though he wasn't in the ship, even though he wasn't near the ship, and even though it was dark, he still saw them. The Bible says these disciples were toiling in this 
word toiling means to labor with pain. The Greek word also gives the idea of torture. I mean, this, the type of rowing that they were doing was torturous pain. Um, it was not fun work. And the Lord saw them while they were toiling. I love that. And he saw them toiling. Can I just encourage all of us this morning that if you're toiling in some aspect of life, you're struggling with some area of life, and you're going through some type of difficulty, just know that he sees you. For those toiling in your difficult work environment, he sees you. For those toiling with your health challenges, he sees you. For those toiling in a strained relationship, he sees you. And for those toiling in a trial or an affliction or some type of suffering, he sees you. He knows. Let this be a comforting thought, the fact that the Lord sees us. But I would also say this, let it also be a convicting thought. You see, he sees you in the darkness when no one else does. He sees and knows everything that you look at on your phone and computer screen. He knows everything that you think and every word that you say, whether anybody heard it or not. He sees and knows. Proverbs 15 and verse number 3, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And he saw them. Amen. I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he sees me. That's a comforting thought, but yes, even a convicting thought as well. Uh, a thought of accountability. And he perceives me. And so we see his perception here and his priority. But thirdly, let's see his path. Verse 48. Again, he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Walking upon the sea. We'll get to that in just a few moments. But notice this last little phrase here of verse 48. This little detail that Mark includes here. And would have passed by them. So as Jesus is walking on water, and again, I don't want to steal my thunder in, for just a few moments. In a few moments, I'm going to bring this up and really highlight the fact that he walked on water. But as he walks on water near the disciples in the boat, the Bible says, Mark does, that he would have passed by them. It wasn't like, you know, we've got Jaden right here, and if I'm walking towards him, like I'm making a direct path to Jaden. But that's not the way Jesus was walking to the disciples. It was kind of like he was walking like this. Jaden was there, and he would have just walked by him, walked by them had they not called out for him. And notice what happens in verse 49. It says, When they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. They all cried out. Now here's, here's the point I want to make about that. Jesus would have passed by them. In other words, it shows that he does not force himself on anyone. He does indeed allow us to choose him. Same thing happened to the disciples on the way back to Emmaus. Remember that after the resurrection of, excuse me, after the resurrection of Christ? The two disciples were walking kind of discouraged. 
Jesus walks up to them and says, hey, why are you guys so down? He said, well, haven't you been around? Don't you really know? what? can't believe you don't know what's been going on. Where have you been? He's like, well, tell me. Oh, the, you know, Jesus died on the cross and, and he's dead. And he says, yeah, let me just teach you some things as they walk to Emmaus. And he goes through the scriptures and, and, and concerning himself. And then at the end, it says, the Bible says this, he made as though he would have gone further. He didn't say, hey, uh, so what are you guys having for dinner tonight? Because I am sure getting hungry. He didn't force himself into their home, and he didn't force himself into the boat there in Mark chapter number 6. Uh, there in Luke, as it records that uh, that scenario when Jesus was following his disciples and walking with them. Uh, he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us. So here's Jesus is walking by the boat on water. Uh, he would have passed by them. They had an opportunity, though, to call out to him, and they did. Now, I believe there's been many in history who have had the Lord pass by them at one point in their lives. And we all have a choice on what we're going to do with that. Are we going to let him just go by? Or are we going to say, hey, Lord, I want to constrain you to abide in my house. I want you to come into our boat. I want you to come into my heart and my life. Right now, those of you in this room and those watching or listening right now have the opportunity to cry out to him. Truth of the matter is, this could very well be the last time he passes by in your life. I believe a lot of people who have grown up in church, the Lord has passed by when they were younger, and whether they received him or not, I do not know. But that may have been the only opportunity they had to receive him. Now, right now, today, on October 17th, 2021, I believe the Lord is passing by you and your life right now. What are you going to do about it? You're going to let him just keep walking? Because he's not going to force himself into your life. Remember the uh, church at Laodicea who uh, had everything except for one minor thing? Uh, the Lord Jesus. And he's outside knocking on the door. He's not banging the door down. He's not kicking the door down saying, hey, this is my church. You better let me back in. The Lord doesn't force himself in like that. He allows us the choice. And yes, the Lord is sovereign. And yes, he knows who's going to receive him. Yes, but he also gives us a free choice as well. It's not just the sovereignty of God and it's not just the free will of man. It's both. And he gives us a choice and he gave the disciples there a choice what they were going to do about it. And the Bible says they did cry out. This could very well be the last time he passes by in your life. I hope not, but it could be. Which is why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not someday down the road when I get everything figured out. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here and you've never been saved, can I encourage you to come to Christ today? And don't, don't wait for him to pass by again because he may never. You may never have another opportunity. 
Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So boast not thyself of tomorrow. Don't think, well, I'll just, I've got plenty of time. You do not know that. Our life is a vapor. It appears for a little time. And then the Bible says it vanisheth away. And we don't know when that vanishing time is going to be. And someone once correctly said this, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. So are you ready to die? Oh, well, I've got all my will and I've got all my, you know, arrangements all figured. No, I'm not talking about that. I mean, that's not a bad thing to have figured out. But do you know where you're going to spend all of eternity? Eternity is a very long time. There is no end to eternity. Are you prepared to meet the Lord? Isaiah 55 at verse number 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. I believe this morning he is near. Here's an opportunity for you to call upon him. Will you do so today? There's a song in our hymnal called Pass Me Not. And the words go, pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, please do not pass me by. You and I have an opportunity to call upon him today. Will you do that? We see his path. But then fourthly, let's look at his peace. Verse 49, as he walks upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit. In studying for this, they were near the place, do you remember back in Mark chapter 5, when uh, the maniac who became a missionary had all of those demons and devils living in him, the legion of devils, and how the Lord cast them into a herd of swine, the swine, uh, all that bacon going into the sea. <laughs> Brings back bad flashbacks of that message. I, I, I needed to see a therapist afterwards. All that bacon disappearing. I'm just teasing. That all those, all those swine go into the sea. Well, the sea that they're on right now in Mark chapter 6, same sea. Same waters. And so there was a lot of demonic activity around that. And, and they probably could have thought, well, maybe this is a ghost or some type of demon that uh, maybe came out of one of those swine and, and is walking on the sea. And that's what they thought here in verse number 49. They supposed that it had been a spirit. Instead of believing that it was the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they were troubled. In fact, verse 50 says, they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, these are beautiful, precious words. In fact, in this whole passage, they're the only words in red in my Bible. In the entire, from verse 45 through verse 40, 56, the only words that are in red here, and that is, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Someone might say that in this passage, Jesus only calmed the storm that day. But I believe that he did more than that. He also calmed the fear of the disciples. A friend, I realize we're living in a day when fear is rampant. 
fear of the economy, fear of inflation, fear of vaccine, fear of losing job if I don't get the vaccine, fear of the future, fear of, and you fill in the blank. It used to be that media knew that, and the mantra of media was sex sells. But now, in the last couple years, and last few years, I think it has shifted to now fear sells. If we can just get people so afraid, then they can't stop watching. And we can show them advertisement after advertisement, and people will be so afraid they'll keep watching. And so we are being bombarded with messages that are meant to produce fear in our lives so that we'll keep watching, so that they can keep putting fear into us, so that we'll keep watching, and on the cycle goes. Well, I want you to hear another message this morning. These are the precious words of the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace. What does he say to the fearful disciples in verse 50? And what does he say to you and I today here in 2021? Verse 50, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Stop living in fear and recognize that I'm here. And God will see you through. Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And so we see his peace. But then fifthly, let's look at here his power. We're looking here at the attributes of the Savior that are on display here in this particular miracle at sea. We see his power. I mentioned in verse number 48, uh, the Bible says here in verse 48, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. Here it is. He's walking on the water. Verse 49 mentions it again. When they saw him walking upon the sea. Verse 51 tells us uh, some other things that display his power. When he went up unto them in the ship, the wind ceased. The wind ceased. The wind immediately stopped because he got into the ship with them. And then verse 56. Let's, uh, let's, let's hold off on verse 56. We'll look at that in a moment. But Jesus, Jesus walked on water. Now, most of us who have been saved for any length of time have heard multiple sermons on the fact that Jesus walked on water. And we can easily become numb to some of these passages because we've read this countless times, heard more sermons about this than you can remember. But today I want to challenge you to, after church maybe, go try to walk on Lake Thunderbird or Lake Thun Dirty Bird I'm, or Dirty Water. I don't remember what they call it now, but Dirty Bird, yeah. Or go take a walk on Lake Hefner and see how that goes. It, it, it is a big deal that Jesus walked on those waves and on that water. In fact, Jesus walked on top of those crazy waves that were causing the disciples so much difficulty. He was able, they were just under his feet to show that he was above all of that. And I was thinking this week about the different things in Scripture that the Lord did to control water. Think about this with me. He, he created water during creation. 
He caused it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights and judged the earth with a worldwide flood. The Lord divided the Red Sea to allow Israel's safe passage out of Egypt, but made those walls of water come crashing down on the Egyptian army. The Lord has power over water. He made water to come out of a rock in the wilderness to quench the thirst of the complaining Israelites. God divided the Jordan River to allow the children of Israel into the promised land on dry ground. God withheld rain in Israel during the reign of Ahab for over three years, and then it started to rain again as an answer to Elijah's prayer. Think of Naaman, who was healed after he dipped in the river seven times. And the very first public miracle that Jesus performed when, was when he turned water into wine, and now he walks on water. So many miracles are revolved around uh, water in the scriptures. Pretty interesting little study. And here again, he's showing his power that he has the ability to do things that we cannot. Now, as a side note, you say, wait a minute, I remember someone else walking on water. As a side note, this is when Peter also walked on water. But Mark does not record this event. If you recall, Mark was not an eyewitness to these events like Matthew and John were. Matthew and John were the only two eyewitnesses who wrote the Gospels. Luke and uh, Mark were not eyewitnesses, so they had to get their information from other eyewitnesses. And so Mark here, as he's writing this particular Gospel, was getting his information primarily from his mentor and hero in the faith, Peter, the one who also walked on water. Now, why Mark did not include this, we don't really have the full story of why uh, Mark did not include Peter walking on water. Matthew did, uh, but uh, Mark did not. Uh, perhaps it was because Peter, as he was going through this particular event, said, you know what, let's just leave that whole thing out. It's a little embarrassing, me sinking and all, that was not my finest hour. Let's just kind of nix that from the uh, script, eh? Um, I'm sure he talked Canadian. Um, but uh, he, he said, let's just, let's just kind of remove that from the record if we could, please. And, and Matthew, who Mark was the first gospel uh, record written, and then Matthew, I think, was next. And Matthew said, hey, where's the thing about Peter in here? I'll make sure it gets in there. And uh, so he did. Uh, but it also, I think, probably more likely, honestly, was Peter did not want the reader distracted with the fact that Peter walked on the water too. I think, honestly, Peter was a godly man and really just wanted to keep the focus on the Lord Jesus as he goes through the record and said, we don't need to put anything about me. Let's just make sure it just stays on the Lord. I, that's my guess, uh, but uh, that's just all speculation. Maybe it was a little of both. I don't know. Uh, but uh, Peter did also walk on water, and uh, that's, a, that's another message for another time. But Jesus walking on water was actually not the only display of Christ's power. Uh, verse number 51 says, When he went up unto them into the ship, the wind ceased. So here again we see the Lord displaying his power over the weather and calming the storm. And then as the Lord and his disciples finally reached the other side, they were greeted with many who were sick, 
looking for Jesus to heal them. Let's pick it up in verse number 53. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gesenaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. So there was a bunch of people that had said, oh, Jesus is here. Let's, let's bring all the sick people over and, and see if he can heal them. So verse 55, and ran throughout that whole region roundabout and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Pretty remarkable. And so here we see once again that he has power not only to walk on water and to calm the storm, but now to heal diseases. He has power to help the hurting. And so this particular passage just screams God is powerful. And while we understand God's power and that we truly serve an all-powerful God, what should that propel us to do? It should propel us to live a life of faith. Think about David, David and Goliath. See, David had God's power in mind when he went, to face, he went face to face with a giant named Goliath. He knew that God was powerful and that he was able to carry him through just like he did when David faced the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He knew that God would see him through again, and God did, because he trusted in the power of God. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do, notice this, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God is powerful, and that should help us to trust him with whatever comes into our life. So we see here the abruptness of the situation. Secondly, we see the attributes of the Savior. But then thirdly, in this particular passage, let's look number three. And lastly, at the amnesia of the servants. While this was indeed a mighty miracle at sea and amazing, not all was positive. There was actually a negative side to the story and and I know in preaching, you're supposed to kind of go to the negative first and then end with the positive. So people walk out with a big smile on their face saying, that was so good. Can't do that here. Because there is a negative aspect to this particular account. Perhaps the saddest part of this miracle at sea was the response of the disciples. Look in verse 51. And he went up into the ship and the wind ceased. And here's what the Bible records. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Mark says that the reason that they were sore amazed beyond measure was because they had spiritual amnesia. Look at verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. They forgot. I read a story this week about a city dweller who was visiting relatives on a farm. The farmer gave a whistle. I mean, he went probably much louder than that. I'm not a loud whistler. Is somebody a loud whistler in here? Okay, go for it. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Ow. No, 
The farmer gave a loud whistle, like Marcy, <laughs> and his dog herded the cattle into the corral, then latched the gate with her paw. I mean, just kind of this pretty amazing little scene that took place here. Wow, that's some dog. What's her name? The city dweller asked his relative on the farm. The forgetful farmer thought for a minute and then asked, um, what, do you, what do you call that red flower that it smells really good and has thorns on the stem? He says, a rose? That's it. The farmer turned to his wife. Hey, Rose, what do we call this dog again? <laughs> See, this is uh, some amnesia going on here. Someone joked, and I saw this recently in reference to our current president, um, that someone said, not only is my short-term memory horrible, but so is my short-term memory. And, uh, <clears throat> and that was absolutely the case for the disciples. They had already forgotten about the miracle that Jesus performed just a few short hours earlier when he fed thousands with the contents of a little boy's lunch. They also forgot, not to mention about the time in chapter number 4, when he rebuked the wind and the, said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. They kind of forgot about all those things that took place in the past. How many times... Does God make a way for us? And then just a few days later, we completely forget it as we face a new trial or difficulty. I mean, the Lord sees us through some big trial and then, and then we face another one and it's like God didn't even do anything back there. He didn't even exist back there. Where's God? He's the same God that he's always been. And he's still right there. And just like he brought you through that trial, he'll bring you through this one too. But these disciples, these servants, had amnesia. There's a song that uh, I like to sing here at Cornerstone. We sing it every once in a while. It's called Lead Me to Calvary. And the song goes, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Your friend, do you remember what he did for you on the cross of Calvary? Do you remember how he became your sin and took the punishment that you deserved? Do you remember how he rose from the dead three days later? Do you remember how he allowed you and orchestrated the events so that you could hear the gospel and be saved? Do you remember that? Remember when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved? What a miracle that was. The salvation of your soul. Okay, so when you face a difficult situation this coming week, next month, perhaps next year, don't forget what God has done in the past. Don't develop spiritual amnesia and say, oh no, well, I'm going to face this trial. God brought you out of the greatest trial you will ever face in your entire life. The trial of being lost in your sin, on your way to a Christless hell. God brought you through that, through salvation in Him. So God can take you through any other trial that will come your way. Asaph, the psalmist in Psalm 77, verse 11 said, I will remember the works of the Lord. 
Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. The psalmist said, I am going to purpose in my heart and in my life that I'm not going to have spiritual amnesia. I'm going to have a good memory when it comes to the things that God has done in my life so that I can face the future with confidence and trust in Him. Perhaps uh, journaling what the Lord did in your life. Some of you like to journal and have diaries. Guys don't have diaries. We have journals. Yeah. Girls have diaries. You know, dear diary. Having a, having a journal of what the Lord did in your life and how he did it would perhaps help us to remember. The songwriter Johnson Oatman Jr. wrote, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, which all of us can be there. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, what are we supposed to do in those moments? We are to count your blessings and name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Let's not panic and fret and get so discouraged about the situation we're in. Let's remember what God did in the past and say, hey, God hasn't changed. I can trust him today. Spiritual amnesia of the disciples. The Lord will address that a little later in chapter number 8. He does so. He deals with this. Verse 52, he deals with it in chapter 8, and we'll get to there in a few weeks. But for now, let's decide to develop a good spiritual memory and remember the things that the Lord does for us so that we are ready to trust him for what comes our way in the future. Another miracle at sea. Now, we've talked about a lot this morning. But what aspect do you need to apply to your life? We've talked about his priority, how he made prayer a priority in his life. Do you need to make that a priority in yours? His perception, the fact that he sees us, let that be a comforting thought for those who are toiling in this life that he sees. Let that be a convicting thought and cause us to live for him and to walk in holiness. We see his path, the fact that he would have passed by them. Today, he, I believe he is passing by us. Let's not let him walk past us without having him come into us. And if, if you're here today and you've never been saved, today is the day. And we saw his peace. Yes, they were afraid. I perhaps would have been too. But his message that he gave to those disciples there on that very early morning hours is the same message he has for us today as believers. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. We don't need to be troubled in this life. We can live with good cheer because he's with us. We don't have to fear. His power, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We can trust him. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. And then our spiritual memory. Have you forgotten the goodness of God in the past? Is that amnesia causing you to worry, to fret? I hope that something said today, the Lord spoke to your heart. And at this time, I want to invite you to have a time of decision where you apply the truth that you heard to your life. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to look at this familiar passage, familiar account. Most of us have heard about Jesus walking on the water all our lives, and it is a wonderful story. And it really happened. 
Lord, there's other truths found within this passage as well. And I pray, Lord, you would help us to apply those to our lives. Pray that uh, we would now be good doers of the word. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Miss Pat to start playing right now. And as she does, um, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision right there in your seat. I think it'd be a mistake if you didn't take a moment and figure out, what should I do with this message? I believe God's spoken to our hearts, and now it's an opportunity for us to speak back to Him.